The Gallup poll did a survey on the Bible knowledge of the average American, and they summarized their findings as follows. Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. Fewer than half of all adults in America today can name the four Gospels. Many Christians, Christians, cannot identify more than two or three of the disciples. The Barna Research Group also did a study and found that 60% of Americans can't even name five of the Ten Commandments. No wonder people break the Ten Commandments so much, they don't even know what they are or even care enough to learn them. George Barna said, increasingly America is biblically illiterate. Even in secular law, ignorance of the law is no excuse. How much more are we accountable to know and keep our Creator's law? Ecclesiastes 12:13 says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The Barna survey also showed that 82% of Americans think that the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. It doesn't say that. God helps us poor failing sinners who cry out, God be merciful to me a sinner. But if the survey found that 82% of Americans think the Bible says God helps those who help themselves, well, guess how many professing born-again Christians knew the right answer? They did noticeably better on this question. Only 81% of them thought the Bible says that. Many people think that the phrase ashes to ashes, dust to dust is in the Bible. No, it's in the Book of Common Prayer. The Barna poll indicated that at least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> A survey of graduating high school seniors showed that over 50% of graduating high school seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Many in one poll even thought that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. <laughs> Albert Muller is a well-known Baptist seminary president and he says, secularized Americans should not be expected to be knowledgeable about the Bible as the nation's civic conversation is stripped of all biblical references and content Americans increasingly live in a scripture-free public space. Confusion and ignorance of the Bible's content should be assumed in post-Christian America. The larger scandal is biblical ignorance among Christians. Choose whichever statistic or survey you like, the general pattern is the same. Americans, Christians, know less and less about the Bible and it shows. Youth ministries are asked to fix problems and to provide entertainment and to keep kids busy. 
How many local church youth programs actually produce substantial Bible knowledge in young people? One of the familiar passages of the Hebrew Old Testament you would hear read regularly in most Orthodox Jewish synagogues is a famous passage called the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. It's in Hebrew, Shema Yisrael, Yahuwah, Elheinu, Yahuwah, Echad. This reading from Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema, is the basic biblical command for religious education and knowledge. It means, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord with all the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. How can they be in your heart if you haven't read them enough to memorize them? And here's the key verse. And thou shalt teach them, the words of God, diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thy house. You talk about the Bible. And when thou walkest by the way, when you're hanging out, you talk about the Bible. And when thou liest down at bedtime, you talk about the Bible. And when thou risest up, when in the morning, well, I, wouldn't that make you a religious fanatic? If you don't like the Bible, what makes you think you would enjoy heaven? Then beware lest thou forget the Lord. God expects us, if we're true Christians, to bathe our daily lives and our households with the Holy Scriptures, teaching them diligently unto our children, as the Shema says. Albert Moeller goes on to say, parents are to be the first and most important educators of their own children, diligently teaching them the word of God. Parents cannot franchise their responsibility to the congregation, no matter how faithful and biblical it may be. God assigned parents this non-negotiable responsibility, and children must see their Christian parents as teachers and fellow students of God's word. Pastors and churches too busy or too distracted to make biblical knowledge a central aim of ministry will produce believers who simply do not know enough to be faithful disciples. Psalm 1 says that a godly man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now how can he meditate in it, think about it, if he doesn't even know it? And yet so many Christian uh, children are abysmally ignorant of the scriptures because the scriptures are not something you hear regularly in their homes. Part of your duty to your children, part of raising them properly, is seeing to it that their lives are saturated with the scriptures, which are quick and powerful and able to bring them to salvation. Now here's something interesting. Scientific studies have shown that children whose mothers frequently played classical music while they were in the womb have a noticeable advantage in logic and orderly thinking and other mental attributes. In one case, a teenager 
who heard a classical cello quartet, found that a, quart, a classical string quartet, uh, found that she knew every note the cello played before it was played. It turned out that her mother had been a cello player and played that music all the time while she was in the womb. Children can learn a lot from what they hear through their mother's stomach. Children who were exposed as a fetus to a bickering, argumentative, or violent household often are colicky and develop negative psychological traits. Now you may say, well, what does all this have to do with the Bible? Well, pay attention carefully now. Our New Testament reading for today is from 2 Timothy, in which Paul is instructing Timothy on how to be a godly and useful pastor, teachings useful to all Christian leaders. He says as follows in 2 Timothy 3.15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Note that the passage says, From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. In the New Testament, there are six different Greek words which can be translated child, which are used a total of 571 times. Paideon, always translated to mean little children. Paidarion, meaning a little boy or a lad. Pais, meaning a child of any age. Paidiske, meaning a female child from late childhood to early youth. Technon, meaning offspring or children and huios, usually translated as son or child. A total of 571 uh, occurrences in the New Testament. But here in 2 Timothy 3.15, none of these six words for, uh, in Greek for child is used. It's, even though the translation says, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Instead, an unusual word is used, brephos, Brephos means a fetus, an unborn baby, or a newborn or recently born infant. So what this verse is really saying is, Timothy, when you were first born or possibly even while you were still in the womb, you heard Holy Scripture, either from your mother speaking it or from her being around others who spoke it frequently. From a, a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures? No, from a fetus, apobrephos. From a fetus, or at least from your first few days of life in infancy, thou hast known, oida, which could be translated you have perceived or experienced or learned to know the Holy Scriptures. You had a godly mother who took her duty to obey the Shema seriously. And hence you were exposed to the word of God from or even before your very birth. And the word of God is quick and powerful and is sharper than a two-edged sword, according to Hebrews 4.12. The holy scriptures are supernatural. They are powerful. And they can mystically transform the life of even an infant in some ways that we do not understand. Paul is saying to Timothy here, that you have been exposed to the scriptures since infancy and you must use, or even before infancy, and you must have used 
You must use these scriptures as one of the great foundations of your ministry. 2 Timothy 3.16 goes on to say, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally translated, all scripture is God-breathed. It isn't just the opinion of a bunch of religious guys. It is the word of God given through different people, retaining their individual style and characteristic, but nevertheless, the infallible word of God. All scripture is God-breathed. comes from the very breath and knowledge and nature of God. And the scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So here verse 16 tells us the four purposes of scripture. Number one, for doctrine, to learn sound doctrine, correct teaching. Number two, for reproof, for warnings about errors in doctrine and errors in living, the negative side of pastoral concern. Number three, for correction, for setting things right, the positive side of pastoral concern. Hendrickson says, not only must the sinner be warned to leave the wrong path, but he must be also directed to the right or straight path. And Daniel 3 gives us a little gem that's kind of God's promise to faithful pastors. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This too, all scripture is able to do. The word, especially when it is used by a consecrated servant of God who is diligent in the performance of his pastoral duties, is restorative in character. And the fourth purpose of the scripture, instruction in righteousness for training people how to live a godly and productive life. Christians need to be disciplined, and a godly pastor will train his people from the Holy Scriptures. Verse 17, that a man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That is, so that true believers, the man of God, perhaps a, an official leader, perhaps just an average uh, Christian, whether pastor, teacher, parent, husband, or ordinary Joe Christian, that the man of God may be complete, that he may be perfect, that, he, that is, he may be complete. Not perfect in the sense of sinless, but perfect in the sense of complete. Thoroughly furnished, or as it says in Greek, really well equipped to do every good work that God wants him to do. Paul goes on in chapter 4 to tell Timothy what he should do with this Bible knowledge as a leader in the church. Not only must Paul, not only must Timothy remain faithful, as Paul said throughout chapter 3, but he also must proclaim the truth and use the Holy Scriptures. Verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach or proclaim or emphatically publicly herald the word. Be instant, that is, be on hand, be available, in season, out of season, when welcomed, when not welcomed, when convenient, when it's not convenient, when you feel like it or when you don't feel like it. 
in season, out of season. Reprove, convict them of their sin. Rebuke, don't soft pedal sin. Reprimand sharply when necessarily. Titus 1.13 says that when dealing with ungodly professing Christians, sometimes you need to, quote, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, unquote. Isaiah 58.1 says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yes, that's part of pastoral duty. Exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. That is, when possible, give loving fatherly admonition with great patience and careful teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You better preach while they're listening. But after their own lusts, TV, <clears throat> shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. They'll want to have their ears tickled. They will seek out false teachers who suit their fancies and perverted tastes. Jeremiah 5.31 says, the prophets, in a time of great declension, prophesy falsely, and my people love to have it so. People love to hear watered-down garbage that presents itself as preaching. But watch thou, or be sober in all things. Endure affliction, suffer hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Bring others to Christ through your preaching. Make full proof of thy ministry. Acts 17, uh, in ver starting in verse 11, tells us that the people in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that, quote, they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed True knowledge of the scriptures helps you become a true believer. Now having heard Paul's teaching about the holy scriptures and their use, do you want to take these words seriously? Do you want your children to learn the word of God? Are you willing to follow the Shema and teach them diligently unto their children? Or are you going to leave it up to the Sunday school teacher one hour per week? Do you want to dispel biblical illiteracy and overcome biblical ignorance in your home? How can you be noble like the Bereans? How can you be equipped to teach the scriptures diligently to thy children? Well, for starters, read the Bible regularly. The best antidote to biblical illiteracy is Bible reading. The best antidote to ignorance is adding daily to your knowledge. Some people decide, okay, all right, I'm going to read through the entire Bible. It's about time I did that. And so they start reading Genesis 1-1. And the first few chapters go fine. And then they eventually get into, and Arphaxad begat Selah, and Selah begat Eber, and Eber begat Peleg, and Peleg begat Reu. And they get bogged down and their eyes glaze over. And they lay the Bible down. And that's the end 
They didn't even get halfway through Genesis. What's the answer? Well, very simple. Just skim over the genealogies if you don't get anything out of them. Keep on reading. <laughs> you can't be expected to enjoy. I mean, theologians, we, we can sit and, and study two lines of genealogy for three weeks and come up with all kinds of amazing conclusions. But the average Bible student isn't ready for that. Just skip over it and go on to something you understand. You're not expected to understand everything in the Bible the first time you read it. Here's a good Bible reading plan. I'm going to leave you with two ideas. It's up to you whether you follow them or not. But God's going to hold you accountable for having heard them. Here's one, and not the, not the only, not the best necessarily, but a good Bible reading plan. Number one, seven steps. Number one, set a daily time. Maybe take it out of your television time or in the early morning before breakfast or in the evening before bedtime. But pick a time and stick to it and read four chapters of the Bible every day. Number two, read one chapter of Psalms and one chapter of Pro or Proverbs. Read one chapter of Psalms or Proverbs to give you practical wisdom. Number three, read one chapter of the Gospels and Acts to bring you closer to the words of Christ in the early church. Number four, read one chapter of the rest of the Old Testament. Number five, read one chapter of the rest of the New Testament. Number six, do this every day and eventually you'll be reading through the entire Old and New Testament regularly. And number seven, so, oh, four chapters a day, that's too much for me. Okay, so just read one chapter of the Old Testament and one chapter of the New Testament every day and do it regularly and you'll be amazed how much your spiritual perception improves. Now the second idea I'm going to leave you with you. Most people, this never occurs to them, but it's so obvious and so simple. Pick out a good chapter of the Bible perhaps Psalm 1 or John 3 or Hebrews 1, and together with your family, memorize it. Memorize it? Oh, I hate memory. I hate memory work too. I hate memory work. It's, a, it's virtually impossible, and then you forget everything you memorize. Well, but here's how you can make it easy. Did you know there's a super easy way to memorize whole chapters of the Bible? Why do you know the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed? Did you have any problem memorizing them? Do you remember those days of struggle when you tried to memorize the Lord? No. You memorize it because you said it over and over. The first few times you read it and then you heard other people say it and it's second nature. It's in your noodle forever. And even if there's persecution or war you know the Lord's Prayer because you've heard it a thousand times, 10,000 times. Well, the same is true of memorizing the rest of the Bible. Every day, gather the family together. And that's a big problem for a lot of people. And everybody get together and read the chosen Bible chapter that you have settled on for the first aloud together. Don't try to memorize it. Just read it out of your Bibles and then go on your merry way. 
Do this faithfully each day. And after a week or so, you will notice that the younger children are beginning to say the chapter without following along in their Bibles. The younger you are, the quicker you learn. However long it takes your family to learn it this easy way, you just read it together until you find you don't have to keep following every verse and until you find you can say it without looking at the Bible. However long it takes your family to learn it this easy way, keep it up until everyone has the chapter memorized like the Lord's Prayer. Maybe it takes you a month. If it takes your family a month to memorize the average chapter, that means in the average year, your family will memorize 12 chapters, not verses, 12 chapters of the Bible. It's easier than you think. You just got to do it. From time to time, review old chapters memorized, like maybe one, one day out of the week, pick three or four of your previously memorized chapters and say them. That keeps them fresh so you don't forget them. In five years, your family will have 60 chapters of the Bible memorized. Do you know how many chapters the average pastor has memorized? Some of my own children have told me, and you can talk to them about this, because we did it in our family. I saw an old-timey evangelist named Lester Roloff when I was in seminary, and he had a bunch of kids that used to be juvenile delinquents and into major sin and stuff, and they were all converted in his ministry, and, and they'd all stand up there in the front of the church, and they'd start quoting chapters and chapters of the Bible, and everybody's jaw would hit the floor. They say, How can these kids who were so wicked and, and such hopeless kids, and here they are two years after their conversion, and they're quoting whole chapters of the Bible, and he's told us all, well, that's how he did it. You just read it again and again and again, and then you, when they can all say it, then you go on to the next chapter. He said, well, that's a great idea. How come no, nobody ever taught me that? So I instituted it in my family and taught it in my church, and believe me, it works if you're faithful. Some of my own children have told me how valuable this is to them because it affects their thinking and decision-making all the time. And when important topics arise, the Holy Spirit brings back the words of Scripture to guide them. For example, maybe you hear some guy on the radio or TV claiming to know all about the last days, and he's teaching some doctrine that sounds a little bit fishy to you. Well, if you've memorized, for example, Hebrews 1, your mind may jump to verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Last days, in these last days, these last days, you think, hmm. In the book of Hebrews, written back in New Testament times, it says God has in these last days spoken unto us by a son. So whatever last days means in the New Testament, it must include New Testament times and is not necessarily talking about something that's going to happen in the future towards the end of time. Could it be talking about these last days of 
the Old Testament times, the Old Testament system, the Old Covenant, as opposed to the New Covenant, the New Testament. You see, you can avoid a lot of false doctrine and your mind will trigger words of Scripture that deal with questions you're dealing with daily. You can avoid a lot of false doctrine and false living by having your mind filled with Scripture. And wouldn't it be better to have a family that has 60 or 100 or 200 chapters of the Bible memorized than to be biblically illiterate? In fact, having a lot of Scripture memorized can help keep you from sin. Psalm 119.9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How do you straighten your life out? How do you keep yourself clean? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart. I've memorized the Bible. In order that I might not sin against thee. Having scripture memorized helps in the day of temptation. Because when you're tempted, not only can you say, Satan, get thee hence with this temptation, but you can do, be like Jesus and back it up with scripture and say, for it is written. And you can quote a scripture that has to do with that temptation. And in times of severe persecution, the scripture you have memorized just might be the only Bible you have. Satan loves biblical illiteracy because it does so much to advance his kingdom. Defeat it now that you know how. Amen.